0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the second chapter of Exodus. Walter Chalmers Smith was a Scottish minister, and he was a great hymn writer. And his most well-known hymn is still widely popular even today. And you know this hymn. In particular, the first line of the hymn goes like this, Immortal, Invisible, God only wise. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Now, I love that first line immortal, invisible, God only wise. How true it is often throughout life, we wonder where God is in the difficult seasons. When the bottom seems to fall out of life, when circumstances are less than stellar. God may indeed be silent in those moments, but we know that God is always at work. He is immortal. Invisible, God-only wise. We call this the invisible providence of God, the way that God is arranging and working behind the scenes throughout the circumstances of human history to achieve His purposes. And one of the most comforting doctrines of all of theology is the providence of God. Uh, It's a doctrine that will comfort you and lead you to not throw your hands up and reckless abandon during the dark seasons of life because you trust that God is at work even though you might not be able to see him. Even though he's invisible, even though the heavens were like brass and he is silent, you can trust that he is always God-only wise. The providence of God. That word providence in English comes from a Latin word, provideo which really is a combination of a couple of words in Latin. Uh, Pro meaning before. Video, we get the word video from. Video is to see or to watch. And so pro video means to see beforehand. Uh, To see or to watch ahead of time. So providence is the sovereign working of God to orchestrate circumstances so as to bring about his divine purposes. And in these early chapters of Exodus, we see the providence of God working. And in particular, Exodus chapter 2 shows us how God providentially moves in history. And this is a passage of Scripture that reminds us that there is a divine purpose behind human events. You know, things happen in life, but they don't just happen. From the fall of the tiniest raindrop to the rise of the mightiest empire, all is under the providential control of Almighty God. And that includes the birth of a baby that we read about here in this second chapter of Exodus. So if you've got your Bible, let's begin reading with verse number one. The Bible says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water." Pay careful attention to all of the details that you read here in these first 10 verses of Exodus chapter two, because these details record the providential working of Almighty God through the birth of a baby, and then the protection of that baby, the raising up of that baby, who is one day destined to be the instrument that God will use to deliver his people. Folks, there's no such thing as coincidence, as the followers of Jesus, we believe in divine providence. God is working behind the scenes of human history to achieve his purposes, and so I wanna speak from this subject this morning, a baby in a basket. Who would ever have thought that God's plan of redemption for his people who were in bondage, after 400 long years, Would involve a baby in a basket. You know, his ways, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Uh, We would think that the deliverer would come in on some type of a horse and with some type of an army at his disposal and overthrow the heavy yoke of oppression and victoriously lead the Israelites out. But God so chooses to use a baby in a basket who grows up to be a man who has his own insecurities, faced with his own limitations and weaknesses, but he has the call of God and the power of God on his life and God so uses Moses to lead the Exodus. So after four long centuries in Egypt that involved slavery for the nation of Israel, these opening verses of chapter two narrow our focus in on a single family God in his providence is arranging the circumstances of the birth of a baby to this couple who were mentioned in verse 1. And the birth of a baby, this is often a thing that repeats itself throughout the story of the Bible. For example, Genesis chapter 3, Eve, the mother of all living, she learns that her salvation will come through a baby. The seed of the woman will one day crush the serpent's head. Later on, Abraham and Sarah are privileged to be the parents of a remarkable baby uh, who was promised to them in their old age. Or what about Judges chapter 13 that tells us of how the angel of the Lord appears to a man named Manoah whose wife was barren, gives him the news that they would soon conceive a child and that child would be Samson. Or what about 1 Samuel chapter 1, the miraculous birth of Samuel in response to Hannah's praying. Hannah had been barren. And so the pages of Scripture are filled with the stories of barren women, uh, people who are at the end of their rope, and yet their hope for the future is tied up with the birth of a baby that God has promised. Now, don't you see the pattern? And how ultimately this really brings us to the prophetic hope of the Old Testament in Isaiah 9:6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so, God's solution to the problems of the time is the birth of a baby. Which by the way, every baby is a vote for the future. Did you know that? Uh, Every baby. It's almost as if it's a way of saying that God, we believe your promises. Uh, We believe that you're the God who honors your promises. Uh, Paul picks up on this in 1 Timothy chapter two and he says that Eve was deceived and became a transgressor. He says, yet she will be saved through bearing children. That is, her salvation will come through a baby who's going to be born. That's why Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And so once again, here in Exodus chapter 2, we're told of another baby who is born. And it's, this time, it's the birth of Moses. And the Bible mentions his birth in at least three different places. Exodus chapter 2. Acts 7, as well as Hebrews chapter 11. And remarkably, the salvation of the entire Israelite nation is connected to his birth. So notice a few things about this baby uh, that is mentioned in these verses. Number one, notice with me the situation of his birth. What were the circumstances surrounding uh, the day in which Moses is born? Well, they were less than stellar circumstances, I can tell you that. The world into which baby Moses was born was a cruel world, a cold and calloused world. Uh, F.B. Meyer described the difficulties faced by Moses and said that he was born to an alien race in a foreign land where they were oppressed and enslaved, born at a time of unusual trouble, yet he was the child of believing parents. So from a human perspective, from man's point of view, Moses was born at the worst possible time. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you go back to chapter one, pay close attention to what's been going on there in Egypt where the Israelites have been for 400 years. Remember, verse eight says that there was a Pharaoh who stepped onto the scene who did not know Joseph. That is, he had no regard for Joseph, the people of Joseph, had no regard for the history uh, where Joseph had provided both for his own family, the household of Jacob, as well as all of Egypt. This new Pharaoh arrives on the scene and he immediately sees the growing Israelite nation as a threat to his own power. And so he ramps up his propaganda machine, convinces his own nation that these Israelites are a threat, and he subjugates them, he forces them into slavery. And so Israel is now in bondage there in Egypt, and yet despite that, verse 12 of the first chapter says the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. That is, the more that they were harassed, the more they spread abroad. So when plan A fails, Pharaoh turns to plan B. What was plan B? Well, he secretly calls to himself the Hebrew midwives. Her names are Shipra and Pua. And he basically tells them, here's what I want you to do. Uh, When when you're there uh, and and the Hebrew women are giving birth, if it's a little girl that's born, let her live. If it's a son who's born, snuff him out the moment that he makes his entry into the world. So he hatches this plan of secret murder. Kill the little baby boys and, and we'll be able to deal with this Israelite problem. Well, Shipra and Pua, these are godly midwives. They fear God more than they feared the king, and so they, they, they commit what is known as the first act of civil disobedience in redemptive history. They obey God. God blesses them as a result, gives them families of their own, and, and the people of God continue to multiply and grow very strong. Now look at the last verse there in uh, chapter 1. When plan A doesn't work and plan B doesn't work, Pharaoh turns to a third option. Uh, Pharaoh commanded all his people, and so here he's open with his intentions. He issues a decree, every son that's born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So now his hostility is open and known to all, and so he issues this official edict that every son born to Hebrew women was to be cast into the Nile River. So that's the situation in which Moses is born. You get into the second chapter, and here you have this couple of the house of Levi, who in the midst of those dark days, they come together, they have children, the woman conceives, and she bears a son which means that Moses is born under a sentence of death. So the way is not easy for baby Moses. No sooner as he's here in this world, there's a death warrant. There's a decree that he needs to be put to death. That's the situation uh, in which Moses and his family find themselves. But thank God for this godly couple. Now, we're not mentioned, their, their names are not mentioned here in this second chapter. We'll later discover on into chapter six that the man's name is Amram. Uh, His wife, her name is Jacobed. And evidently, these were a couple, this was a man and a woman who had great faith in the God of Israel. You say, how do you know that? Well, you consider the meaning of their names. Evidently, there was a legacy of faith that was passed down from one generation to the next. Amram's name means exalted people. The idea is whoever named him had the hope uh, that God had given to Abraham all of those centuries before that God would make them into a special great nation. Jacobet, her name means the honor of Jehovah. So based upon the meaning of their names, here you have a family. We can gather that this is a family that believed the promises of God. By the way, aren't you grateful that there are people who believe in the promises of God even in dark times? God always has a believing, a believing remnant, remnant theology. You'll find the pages of Scripture saturated with this infamous, in- emphasis that no matter how dark the day may be, God always preserves a faithful remnant for himself. So here you have these believing parents who have names that remind them of the God of Israel and the promise that he had in mind for the descendants of Abraham. Now they're married and they have their own children. We know that Moses was not the firstborn. They had two other children besides Moses. Moses had an older brother who was at least three years older than him. His name was Aaron. And they had an older sister, her name was Miriam. So Jacobed will conceive at least a third time and give birth to a son under these circumstances that baby boys were to be thrown into the Nile River, and yet rather than submitting to the decree of a tyrant, here you have this godly couple who hid their infant son for three months. Now, you don't have to turn there, but if you were to go to Hebrews chapter 11, you would discover that the writer of Hebrews picks up on this In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 and says it was by faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents so the idea is here you have this godly couple in Amram and Jochebed who in faith believed the promise of the God of Israel and rather than go along with the edict of the king of Egypt they determine that they're going to hide their infant son, and they're able to do it for about three months. Now, I think I could stop here and make some application. It was a dangerous time for babies in the world of Exodus 2. And it's a dangerous time to be a child in today's world too, isn't it? When you think about all of the ideologies that are out there, and those who are bent upon making disciples, cultural disciples out of our children, we had better be diligent to make disciples of Jesus out of our children while we have the time and opportunity. Ann Ortland wrote a book years ago, something about the book, I think the title of the book had something to do with children or wet cement. Now think about that. Wet cement is moldable. Wet cement is impressionable. But there comes a point in time when that cement hardens. While we have children in our homes, men and women, we've got wet cement on our hands. We'd better be careful what we do with the time while we have it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Scripture tells fathers and mothers to bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In Deuteronomy, God's going to tell his newly redeemed people, to pass the faith along from one generation to the next, to diligently teach the commands and precepts of God to their children while they have the time and opportunity. Uh, Write the law of God upon the doorpost of your homes. Build your home upon the foundation of the word of God. Don't take for granted their spiritual well-being. Be proactive as a mom and dad in raising godly sons and daughters, especially in such a dark time as which we live in. Because if you're not diligent to do it, somebody else will tell them what to believe. Somebody else will come along and tell them what's most important in life. Somebody else will come along and tell them what to believe about gender and sexuality. Someone else will come along and tell them what to do with marriage and how to live their life and how to use their money and what they should pursue. God help us to raise godly sons and daughters, to model for our children's watching eyes what it really means to love and follow Jesus. So that's Amram and Jochebed. They're fighting for their infant son. Even though he's under a sentence of death, they feared God more than they feared the king of Egypt. Now notice the second thing, not only the situation of Moses' birth, but notice with me the dedication of his mother. Verse 3 says that when she could hide him no longer, which I would imagine it got pretty hard trying to hide an infant son for three months. Could you imagine the tension within that household with an older brother and an older sister? I can hear it now. Don't y'all bother the baby. Don't make him cry. And at each time that little Moses and his infant cries began to be raised, could you imagine perhaps a cold shiver that went up and down the spine of Jacques Bed, knowing that his infant cries could alert the nearby authorities as to his presence, who at any moment during that three-month period could have come, perhaps, and done a routine inspection, discover a Hebrew male child only to watch their son taken by those authorities and drowned in the river. That's the type of fear that Amram and Jacobed live with for those three months. And yet by faith, they believe the promises of God and they hide him. But notice notice the emphasis that's placed here on Jacobed, godly mother that she was. She plays a major role in the nurturing and the provision for her infant son. And notice a few things about her. First, notice her trusting heart. Verse 2 says, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise to us parents, because most parents I know think that their baby is the most beautiful baby in the world. And you ought to. I've never met a parent who didn't think that their child was the most beautiful, most exceptional child that has ever lived. But I believe there's more to it than that here, especially when you consider the meaning of this word fine. The text says she noticed that he was a fine child. Some translations say beautiful child. The Hebrew word that's used there, translated fine in the ESV, it's the word tov. It's a word that elsewhere is translated as good. In fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, you'll find this word repeated several times throughout the creation account. On each day of creation, God creates. He looks at that which he creates and sees that it is good. You get to verse 31 in Genesis 1. God looks at all of his creation and he declares that it was very tov, very good. So that word tov there uh, implies this sense of divine purpose a sense of good purpose, that which comes from the creative hand of God. So, Bet, she's looking at her infant son and she sees that he is very tov, which means that it would seem that there's something special about him. And again, the writer of Hebrews shed some light on this in Hebrews 11 verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful. I like how the NIV translates that. By faith, his parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. So the idea is it could be that God had impressed upon Jochebed's heart the significance of Moses' life. Maybe God revealed to her in the depths of her soul that this tiny infant of hers somehow had a very special destiny. Now, obviously, she didn't know all of the details. She didn't understand the full extent to which he would one day be used of God as an instrument. But it's abundantly clear that Jacobed, she's a woman of faith in the God of Israel. She has a trusting heart. And then notice something else about her. Notice she has tender hands. Pay close attention to how the hands of this woman of faith went to work. She believed God, but she was not content to just sit by and wait for Pharaoh's soldiers to come take her little infant son. No, she's a woman of faith who has a plan. In fact, it's a very creative plan. It's a well-thought-out plan. The time eventually came when... Moses' infant cries would no longer be kept secret, and so with tender, resourceful hands, she goes to work. And verse 3 says that she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, and she daubed it with pitch. Those bulrushes that are referred to there are abundant in the area of the Nile River Delta. I know you've seen those pictures of reeds growing up along the lush riverbanks of the Nile. They were known as papyrus plants. Uh, The Egyptians would use those plants in a variety of ways, not the least of which involved laying those strips of papyrus uh, vertically and horizontally on top of one another or then mashing them into a thin mold so that when they were dry, they could be used to, to write upon. And so the plural of papyrus is papyri. Our English word paper comes from this same word. So so think about this. Moses, she takes those bulrushes. She forms and fashions them into a little papyrus basket ever so diligently. She then covers it with tar, with pitch, so that that little basket is waterproof. That word basket is a very important word. The only other time this word is used in the the Old Testament, it's used in Genesis chapter 6, where God tells Noah, I want you to build an ark the word is "tevah" in Hebrew. It's used here in Exodus 2. It's used in Genesis chapter 6 to refer to the ark. So the idea is, Jochebed makes a little ark for her son, and just as God used an ark to save Noah and his family and the human race, so also would he use this tiny little ark to save the infant Moses. Folks, let me tell you something. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And yet, Jacobed, she's such a tremendous illustration of what it means to be resourceful while casting your hopes upon the mercy of God. You know, sometimes I meet folks that think that, that, that faith and planning and planning are mutually exclusive. You know they're not, right? To be a man and woman of faith means that you make plans in faith, it means that you're diligent to work, You say, I'm out out of a job. I, I need to trust God to provide me work. And I say, okay, well, what are you doing now while you're waiting? Well, I'm just waiting for God. Well, you keep on doing that and see how that works for you. Faith is proactive. James says that faith is active. Faith without works is dead and useless. So trust God to provide for you a job, but man, you better beat the bushes to find opportunities where where people are hiring. There's a difference between living with faith versus living with presumption. Presumption is is a lazy approach to life. Jacob, she's not lazy. She's not operating under presumption. No, she's acting in faith upon what she knows to be true about the God of Israel. Here's a woman with a trusting heart, with tender hands, And notice one more thing that she has. She has a tenacious hope. Verse 3 says that she takes her infant son and she puts him there in that little basket. And then she places that basket among the reeds there by the riverbank upon the Nile. Now, once more we see her tender hands at work here. Listen to the delicate language. She's carefully placing her baby in the basket. She's carefully placing that basket among the reeds. Verse 4 says that the baby's oldest sister stood at a distance to see what would be done. I kind of have this hunch that Jochebed put Miriam there to watch what would happen. I think that was part of her plan. You'll not convince me otherwise. She fully expects God to deliver her infant in a miraculous way. She's giving him up, but she did not expect him to die. She's acting in faith. She's committing her little baby to the Lord. Folks, let me tell you something. I thank God for the tender hands, the tenacious hope, and the trusting heart of women of God. Godly mothers. I mean, who knows just how many people will be in heaven one day because of the faithful witness of a godly mother who made it her intention to pass her faith along to her children. A woman who lived with a trusting heart. Was she perfect? No. Was she always consistent? No. But does she have a trusting heart? Yes. And then that trusting heart shows up in her tender hands as she carefully provides for her children, much like what Proverbs 31 describes. In fact, go through Proverbs 31. You'll mention, it mentions at least seven times the skillful hands of a godly woman. A woman who has a trusting heart also has tender hands and she lives with a tenacious hope. That's jockbed. She's living with this hope in the God of Israel who's made a promise. So the situation then surrounding Moses' birth, these were difficult times. But thank God for the dedication of his godly mother. One final thing that I want you to notice with me is the preservation of his life. Watch how the providence of God goes to work behind the scenes As the baby's placed into the basket, the basket is then set upon the Nile, which by the way, what a fearful thing for any mother to have to experience. And yet she could rest confident that God was at work in that baby's basket. Because in that one moment in history, God's entire plan for triumphing over evil was riding down the Nile River in a little papyrus basket. Conventional wisdom says that a baby in a basket made out of reeds is in great danger, in peril. But let me tell you something. That little baby could not have been any more safe if he were cruising down the Nile in the USS Fitzgerald. You want to know why? Because the hand of God was guiding that little ark right where it needed to be. Right at the right moment, the right time, the invisible, providential hand of God. God who is... Immortal, invisible, God only wise, is guiding that little basket to the place where he wants it to be. Well, what happens? Well, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to take a bath, and she happens to see that little basket floating there in the bulrushes near the bank of the river. And so her servants bring the basket to her. She opens it up and she discovers that the baby's doing what babies do, he's crying. And she immediately recognizes him to be one of the Hebrews' children and in one of the divine twists that fill the pages of scripture. Moses' own sister Miriam was there watching at a distance. She comes and volunteers to find a nurse. Would you like me to to find a nurse for this little baby, princess? (laughs) Now who in the world do you think she's gonna go find? Not some stranger. No, she's going to go find Jockbed. And Pharaoh's daughter tells her to go, and the girl goes and calls the child's mother. Now look at verse 9. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. In other words, she gets paid to nurse little Moses. She gets paid to do what she wanted to do all along. Folks, that's how God works. When you give what you love to God, God takes and multiplies it over and over and over again. You never lose anything that you put in the hands of God. A.W. Tozer said, everything in life which we commit to God is really safe. And everything which we refuse to commit to Him is never safe. And so you never lose that which you give to God, whether that be money, whether that be concerns that you have, whether that be your time, whether that be your children. But how oftentimes we go through life just with this ironclad grip on the things that we love, only to have to have our fingers pried. But when you give it to God... And you entrust it to God. Let me tell you something. God could take better care of little Moses than Amram or Jochebed ever could. The invisible hand of providence is at work in every detail of the story. The God of providence was working all things together for the good of his people, those to whom he had made a promise. And you think about the what ifs in the story, right? You know, we love to live in the what if realm, don't we? Let's just be honest with each other. What if the soldiers found the baby? What if the wrong person came along? What if Pharaoh's daughter came a day early or an hour later? What if she didn't notice the basket? Or what if when she opened it, she felt no pity? What if she had the same mentality that her cruel, hard-hearted father had? You can come up with a dozen more what-ifs and various scenarios, but the fact of the matter is, there are no what-ifs in life with Almighty God. Every detail was under the providential control of God, from Pharaoh's decree, to the baby's beauty, to Jacob's plan, to the river's current, to the baby's cry, the daughter's compassion. All of it was in the hands of God, who's orchestrating these circumstances to achieve his own purposes and to eventually bring about the salvation of his own people. Now, the time would come when Jochebed would have to give up her son again, but not before she had made an investment in his little life. Because verse 10 says that when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. She names him Moses because she says, I drew him out of the water. That's what the name Moses means, one who is drawn out. And what a prophetic name it is a picture of what this infant was born to do. Born to be used as an instrument of God to draw his people out of their bondage in Egypt. And it was all woven together by the Lord. Nothing by chance, nothing by coincidence, but all by divine providence. Now, let me ask you this question. If God can so take care of a baby in a basket and providentially orchestrate the circumstances of life involving the most powerful man in the land at the time to the lowliest servant girl at the time. Do you not think that God can take care of the circumstances in your life too? How might he be arranging the circumstances of your life, working behind the scenes to bring you where you currently are? It's not by accident. It's not by coincidence. You didn't just stumble in these doors by coincidence this morning. No, you're here by providence. If you don't know Jesus, you're here by providence. What's keeping you from committing your way to Christ and placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something, this is just but a picture of what God is going to do in the future when he's going to arrange the circumstances uh, in the Roman Empire through the decree of a Caesar, to so prepare the world for the birth of his own son. Here we have a baby in a basket. There it's, in Luke 2, it's a baby in Bethlehem. And then thereafter, 30 years, 33 years later, he's gonna be a lamb upon a cross. This is how God saves the world. It's not by human cleverness. It's not by my ingenuity. It's not by human strength. It's by the providential hand of Almighty God that's always, always, always at work. Amen. Amen. What do you need to trust Him for in your life this morning? What do you need to commit to him this morning? Hmm. What might you need to take and prepare and place in a little ark of grace and give to God this morning? Is it a wayward son or a daughter? Is it a health concern? Is it something on your mind that just is keeping you up at night? It's an issue. Listen, God is always working men and women behind the scenes of life. Trust in his providence. Would you stand with me for prayer this morning? Immortal, invisible, God only wise. Are you trusting in His hidden providence working out the details of your own life? Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, my invitation to you is simple. Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't leave this morning without getting this issue settled and repenting of your sin in believing the gospel of God's grace, that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's good news. And It doesn't matter who you are, what background you come from, how you've lived your life up until this point, none of that matters. You're in bondage to sin, a sentence of death over your life. Listen, God has providentially worked in history To save you. Trust in him. Believe the gospel of his grace and be saved. Maybe you need to come this morning and you just need to find a place here and pray and say, Lord, I'm committing this circumstance to your hands, whatever it may be, trusting your providential working. Even though I can't see your hand, even though I don't know what you're up to, Lord, I'm believing your promise nonetheless. Maybe you've been visiting our church for some time you believe this is the church that God wants you to be a part of, you, perhaps your family, and you'd like to join. Can I just encourage you to come talk to one of our pastors this morning? On either side of the platform here, you come with love to tell you how you can become a church member. Maybe you need to be baptized. I invite you to come this morning. Lord, thank you for your providential working behind the scenes in human history and in our own individual lives. Lord, no matter how dark the time may be or difficult the circumstance, Lord, we trust in your grace. We believe the promise of Romans 8:28, for we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.